This podcast was recorded at a Battle of Ideas satellite session at the Hellenic American Union in Athens on the 23rd of September 2014. Hello everyone, welcome to the fourth Athens Battle of Ideas satellite event. We are very glad to be here for the fourth consecutive year. And this wouldn't have happened without the excellent partnership we have with the Hellenic American Union and some of its excellent members of staff, such as Milton Zeleti, uh, Lila Magnotti, and of course, Ira Papadopoulou. And also, I need to say a huge thanks to Alan Miller and Bad Club for being an excellent partner. So, what is the Battle of Ideas? Battle of Ideas is a two days festival of debate taking place in London at some point early every October. And in the weeks leading to the Battle of Ideas, we have what we call satellite events. So, there are debate events taking place in other places in Europe, and not only Europe. So, we have Germany, Sweden, Holland. Hungary, the United States, and what we basically do in the Battle of Ideas is we discuss everything from politics. Yesterday we had a discussion in the free thinking zone about whether Greece can actually reform, or like today, culture. And our motto is that ideas do matter. We think, as someone said, that ideas have consequences. We also think that the absence of ideas has consequences. So we want to put ideas back on the table, test our ideas, and this is what's about to happen now. And I'm very excited for, the, for this event. Thank you. Thank you, Nico. So uh, my name is Alan Miller. I'm a director of the New York Salon, and I'm a partner uh, with the Battle Ideas Satellite Festival uh, from the Vibe Bar in London. Uh, I'm very excited to be here with this really remarkable panel this evening and an absolutely stunning uh, venue and with, with a view that uh, is certainly now, for me, is the best view I've ever been at any event. So that, for me, is a record. Uh, and I'm sure the debate and discussion will be as, uh, as amazing as the view. Um, so the title tonight is Opera, Are We All Invited? And uh, I'm going to get to the panel very quickly because I want us to get into the, uh, into the meat of the discussion and debate. But uh, some of the themes uh, that we'll talk to about tonight will be about specifically what's happening in Greece. And I think that some of the themes will be uh, issues that are discussed much more uh, internationally as well in terms of opera and what it means to be uh, popular or accessible and as an art form, uh, how it should be shown and uh, uh, upheld. A quote that was interesting uh, for me that some people may, uh, may be familiar with, Joyce Dinodato, but she made a, a, an interesting quote recently when she was talking about what she called the dumbing down of opera. And she said, stop apologising, stop trying to sell our music by dumbing it down. Sell opera on the basis that is like nothing else on the planet, not on the basis that it is superficially cool and hip. That is so phony. Now, people may agree or disagree about that, and we're very keen at the Battle of Ideas to get uh, your views and your thoughts. So once the panel has spoken, we very much uh, want you to you know, contribute, and not just uh, ask questions, but do uh, contribute. And, and, and if you want to do it in Greek as well, there's also an option because uh, we can have that translated. So uh, I'm going to introduce you to our speakers uh, and in the order that they're going to be speaking. So at the end of the table is Yonassis. So Yonassis is the assistant professor at the Hellenic American University. And he's also a music editor and, and performer. Directly next to Yonassis is uh, Dr. Eugenia uh, Arsenis, who's a director of Dramaturg, the Centre for Contemporary Opera in New York. Immediately next to me is Dolan Cummins, 
who's an associate fellow of the Institute of Ideas in London and is also an editor of Debating Humanism. He's also a co-founder of the Manifesto Club. Next to me directly here is uh, Dr. Nikos Dontas. He's the head of the dramaturgy department at the Greek National Opera and he's also a music critic at Cathy Mirani. I apologise about my pronunciation. <laughs> and then we have... Uh, Dimitrios Kiosopoulos, who is a historian and, colo and, and a columnist for Elephelothrotipia. Uh, so, um, we're going to hear from the panel, and I'm going to ask a couple of questions, and then we're going to go out to you guys. So, over to you, Nysis. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Mr. Miller, for your invitation to this debate. Unquestionably, we are all invited to opera, but can we all follow, understand, and enjoy it? I would like to share with you initially three personal instances related to opera. The first occurred 30 years ago, the summer of 1984, when I attended an opera for the first time in my life. I was lucky because a friend of my mother cancelled at the last minute and my mother took me instead. It was Carmen with Agnes Balsa and Jose Carreras in the Eurovision. I was astonished by the production, especially by the music, since I felt like I already knew it from the past, even if it was the first time I was hearing it. After this artistic shock, I started collecting tape recordings and made recordings from the radio, a habit that has lasted until now. A few years later, when I was in high school, I was able to go by myself to the opera house, since it was very close to my school, and every time we had an afternoon session, I was keeping the last hour and running for the 7 o'clock performance, and getting it with the 50 drachmas ticket. That is almost 20 cents. Yeah. I remember that for many years I saw each production more than three times. The second instance was two years ago when, as an oboist, I participated in the Greek Opera House production of the Barber of Seville, especially designed to be staged in elementary schools all around Greece. I believe this was among the cleverest projects Greek Opera House realized as far as I can remember. One day before the performance, the young students would be introduced to the instruments, the voices, the settings, the costumes, the lightings, and all the elements needed to run an opera production. Furthermore, students had to learn to sing the final chorus and be part of the performance themselves. The excitement of the students was beyond description. In every performance, I was almost bursting into tears watching these kids so enthusiastically enjoy your singing's masterpiece. I was thinking that observing these young students would be a good answer to those who claim that the DNA of Greeks does not include classical music. Mm -hmm. The last instance occurred also two years ago on the sixth floor of this building during a session of the music appreciation course which I was teaching offered by the music department of Hellenic American College to non-music majors. It was the day that I introduced the students to human voices. The first example I used was Maria Callas singing Rosina's aria from the Barber of Seville. The students were astonished, but they had an unexpected question whose answer I couldn't think of. Why does he sing this way? It was probably the first time in their life that they were listening to operatic singing. Since the students were over 20 years old, I thought that it is rather difficult for them to become opera lovers. It is not a matter of elitism or of a difficult art form. It is that opera was completely excluded from their daily lives and interests, and it was completely unknown to them. 
Based on the two last aforementioned cases, I believe there is a gap in the audience of the junior and high school level, namely from 12 to 18 years old. It is in this period that adolescents shape their artistic interests, they are sensitive and sensible, and it is this particular group that should be invited to an opera. This invitation should be supported by the Ministry of Education, since the visit to the opera would enhance education and cultivation of the students. Probably, in this period of economic crisis, this is the last thought on the minds of the Ministry. But that's a different issue. I strongly believe that in order to enjoy opera, somebody needs to get familiar from an early age. This training would happen at school and could be supported by other institutions as well. I don't think that the world of the Ring of the Nibelungs is so far from the world of the Lord of the Rings. Since most of the students go to the movie theaters, it is a matter of getting familiar with the musical aspect, namely operatic singing. Opera is the most popular among classical music forms. Greece has a very long tradition in opera, even if this fact is completely unknown to the majority of us. I do not refer to the relation between opera and ancient Greek drama, but to the opera performances that took place in the Greek area many years before the foundation of the Greek states in the late 18th century. In most cases, operas by Italian composers were performed in the Ionian Islands only a few months after their premiere. During the 19th century, there used to be an opera house in every important commercial center. Today, there is only one in Athens. For the first half of the 20th century, opera and especially operetta was the main entertainment of the Athenian bourgeois. Not to mention that many Greek opera singers made and are still making international careers in the most famous opera stages. After the Second World War, Greek opera life was centered in the endeavors of the Greek opera house, at Nikilikiskimi, which shows a rapid growth in the last couple of years. Iriki, the Greek opera house, trying to expand its audience, organizes beyond the traditional performances innovative venues in schools, streets, and other untraditional spaces, looking towards the new magnificent opera house that will be inaugurated in a couple of years. For me, the most important factor to attract any audience is high-quality performances. And since opera combines almost all the arts, there is a need for high-quality novel artistics, artistic parameters, theater, music, dance, painting, etc., etc. The, the problem whether or not to have a contemporary staging is a secondary one, nevertheless very important. I believe staging is the link to connect an older art form with our daily life. And actually, this is the only way for this connection since we are forbidden to change even one note from the music score or a single word from the libretto. To recapitulate, I believe that a targeted effort should be made to the potential audience of junior and senior high school students by special programs that will make them able to enjoy opera. It worth the effort since the level of aesthetic enjoyment uh, somebody can receive could reach the highest level. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Eugenia. Thank you very much indeed for the honorary invitation. The themes as described on the proposal of today's session capture the gist of an aesthetic discussion that is practically realized sometime now in almost all artistic forms. I was particularly pleased to see that the Institute of Ideas considered the topics of opera, crisis and modernization of such an importance so as to be included within the debates of the battle of the, our ideas. 
Coming to the role of uh, the artist and the theoretician, I choose to speak from the point of view of the opera director. I believe in that uh, these experiences from my practical involvement uh, in opera productions will stimulate our discussion. So let's see the uh, primary factors that we have. I will start from the following. Economic crisis, yet increase of cultural projects. It is a fact, yet should we be happy about it? I will argue that even if we do see more artistic works, this is a result of a developing mentality where it is almost a given that you're not going to be compensated for your work and that you should actually be grateful you get the opportunity to express yourself. So the motto is no funds available, let's all create, which is magnificent in the sense that we have more voices in the arts and that's really important, yet we practically decide that all artists are hosts to prevent any misunderstanding and well known for actively supporting various artistic um, work uh, with colleagues I respect and I collaborate with. And they do so too. But this is different because the initiative here is the artistic drive, driving force that unites us to discover something new and communicate to the audience. It is not the same though when institutions or theater owners take advantage of this thirst for artistic expression and creativity. And of course, we, artists, have a huge responsibility too. There are more points to that than related to the artistic education. I already talked about it, and I hope they will um, come up to the discussion. And I will um, omit some of my thoughts to go to the second point on time constraints. And um, I would like to discuss Something else. We say broader audience in opera, more productions that incorporate elements from popular culture. Artist communication, expanding our audiences, is surely very important. In order to achieve that, we need to convey that opera is not an elitist art form, but a theatrical zona which uniquely combines all the art, all the arts. Yet we want our audiences to appreciate this art form and not one that has a name of it. Respecting opera is not synonymous to, to the revival of a classical style. The evolution of opera performance throughout the years strengthened its theatrical aspect. Opera is not anymore standing and singing. Yet, innovation cannot be identified with provocation. What we see some years now is a complete deconstruction of the works, the application of all kinds of modernist elements often using the term postmodern, which is an unfair use of the term, anything can now happen on stage, and not related to the characters, the plot, and especially the music. What do we see in opera? Is it not what we call sublime, the unique aesthetic experience? I would say that it is this Nietzschean use of Schiller's musical mood and Greek tragedy that transcends everything. And this stands, of course, also to operatic works with strong sociopolitical context, and I'm working a lot on this. We have to say that the music determines to a great extent the operatic work. It is a unique source of inspiration. Listen to the music and it gives you all the answers. What we often see simply doesn't agree with what we listen to. It is not Dada, which I totally respect and actually am very fond of it, or another relevant movement. I'm open to contemporary approaches Yet, I do need justifications, justifications and consistency, and not justifications by reading the program, but by watching the actual performance. The easiest thing is to apply a concept on an action afterwards, but this is not the point. 
It is a fallacy we think that adding elements that can provoke reactions will bring the audience to opera. And even if we do, we attract them for the wrong reasons. And it is insulting for both the opera and the audience, since we clearly tell them that we do not believe they are capable of grasping the substance of this art form. And just one more thought. I'm open to all kinds of performances and aesthetic choices. I just believe that there is space for everything. There's space for everything to be expressed, but not to be idealized. Thank you. Thank you very much. Okay, Dodo. Thank you. I think it's very interesting taken by what um, Johannes said about uh, your first opera uh, being uh, in 1994. I think my vis visit must have been about the same year, uh, very close. And uh, it was a Scottish opera production um, in Glasgow of uh, 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 Richard Strauss's Rosenkavalier, which is now, I think, one of my favourite operas. But I remember at the time, um, I enjoyed two or three operas very, sorry, sorry, two or three arias very much. I thought the overall thing was very well done. I thought it was sort of okay, and for a lot of the time, I was quite bored. And I think that for many um, first-time opera goers, and even second, third, fourth-time opera goers, there's, there's some truth to that. And I think perhaps there's a, a danger that, that opera audiences and other audiences for the arts carry this guilty secret of not actually being transported in raptures by what they're seeing, not sitting in ecstasy thinking this is the best thing I've ever seen. But I think that's all right, because once you get used to the idea of things being okay, then you can start to discriminate. Actually, this is better than the last time I saw it. Or, the last one I saw was much better um, now that I've seen this one, which is horrible. And we, we begin to make judgments about it. Um, and to put it another way, opera is an, an acquired taste. It's something that as we're exposed more to it, we're able to, to discriminate more. And actually to identify those truly ecstatic performances, um, having sat through some that were less than ecstatic. Um, I think is no bad thing. It's true, of course, of all um, art forms to some extent. Um, the pianist Charles Rosen says somewhere that, uh, that all artistic appreciation begins with someone being a little bit pretentious, uh, you know, pretending to like the thing that they're supposed to like because this is what they're told. And that sounds terrible. Uh, I know that's not how we like to think of the arts, but I think for many people it, 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 it is. Not everyone is carried away at the first performance. That doesn't mean they're never going to get it. So I just want to, to, to open that up. I think the particular thing about um, opera is it has a particular prestige. It's not only um, a, a, a high art, it's the quintessential high art. It's the, the highest art form, art form in that sense. And in that sense, of course, it atta atta attracts pretentious people. And that's not necessarily a bad thing if, if they come to, to appreciate it. An interesting experiment in London, I think, about 10 years ago, Raymond Goodbye, who's responsible for a lot of West End theatre productions, commercial theatre productions, and took on opera and tried to remodel, remodel it, to market it, not to people aspiring to high art, but to people looking for an average night out. It was suggested this is a safe bet for a first date, for example, come along to this opera. And it was uh, stuff like Cosi Fantuti or the, the Barbara Seville, and um, that it's quite accessible um, uh, for first timers. What was interesting is that it flopped. Um, part of the reason for that was perhaps the quality of the performances wasn't as, as high as it might have been. But I think also part of the reason is that opera loses some of its appeal when you tell people it's ordinary. Uh, if, it, if it loses that idea that this is something special, something to uh, aspire to, then what's the point? Why should you make the effort to, to, to go again, having seen your first production and thinking it was okay? 
So I think there is something um, special about this, this idea of a high art that I, I kind of want to defend, and I know it's a very um, uh, unfashionable um, view, but maybe we can, we can discuss it further. Just to explore that in a little more detail, I want to talk about the last um, opera production I saw, which was at the Royal Opera uh, in London. And it was uh, Mark Anthony Turnage's um, Anna Nicole, first produced a few years ago, I think, but it's the first time I saw it. It's, uh, for those who don't know it, it's, it's uh, an opera about um, uh, the American uh, stripper who married uh, a millionaire, Anna Nicole Smith, and it dramatizes her life, her celebrity, and the way that the, the, the celebrity culture responded to her. Um, what's interesting about that is, on one hand, here's a, a new opera reaching out, doing something differently, embracing in contemporary culture rather than giving us um, a kind of early modern aristocrats romping around, or indeed uh, the Dungeons and Dragons um, of Wagner. Um, but, so in, in that sense, you might expect, is it reaching out to different audiences? Now, I haven't seen the breakdown, but actually the impression I got was, it was no, this is a fairly typical Royal Opera House audience coming to see Anna Nicole. And I suspect, like me, I'd, I only heard of Anna Nicole because of an opera about her. So it's not necessarily the case that these are, these are celebrity hounds who are reading all the celebrity magazines and who say, oh, great, there's an opera about my favourite celebrity. Um, so there's actually a danger that what you have in the case of Anna Nicole is a high art form making fun of low culture, of mass culture. Um, is it just a snobbish, disdainful thing? A lot of it does make fun of Anna Nicole's um, um, low level of culture, of Texas as a backward place, Texas is where she comes from, of the horrible junk food that she eats. Um, so you might just see it as, 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 as snobbery coming from, from, from high art. Um, I would argue that it isn't, but the grounds on which to make that argument are actually not to do with the kind of cultural studies level of, 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 of the opera, the way that I've talked about it so far, but it's aesthetic marks. And in other ways, Mark Anthony Turner's music is also more accessible in that it, it, a lot of it sounds like musical theatre, has influences from jazz and so on, but also elements of 20th century contemporary music, um, which is anything but accessible, or certainly not regarded as being accessible. So it's very interesting um, aesthetically. And ultimately, I would say the only way you can judge whether uh, an opera like that is successful is in the terms of opera itself, in aesthetic terms. So whether people have come along because it's what you do, it's on at the Royal Opera House, that's the fashionable thing for wealthy people in London to do, or whether they've come because they've heard about this opera, about something um, much more earthy and different, and they're attracted to that, um, it doesn't really matter what the motivation is. Or whether they've been sent there on a school trip, for that matter. Some of the language, I think, is unlikely a school trip to be sent. Um, ultimately, it does come down to the idea of whether they can make, uh, critically engage with the opera and say... I like it for this reason, I don't like it for this reason, and argue about those with other people who are informed about opera. Um, and I think as long as that can happen, it actually doesn't matter what the final answer is, is it a successful opera or not. If people are engaging in, in that way, and not simply saying it's good because they're supposed to like it, or saying it's rubbish because it's distant and elitist, um, then I think there's, there's, hope, there's hope for proper engagement. Um, ultimately, that does depend on having quite a rich critical culture. And to that end, I like to see um, more writing and, 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 and debating. And, and you know, there are all kinds of blogs and so on dealing with, with, with opera, which is, I think, a healthy thing, as long as it does maintain that high standards and say, actually, we're not being pretentious anymore. This stuff is really good. OK. Thank you, Dylan. Uh, Nikos. Right. 
Well, thank you also for the invitation and for giving us the opportunity to talk about opera. It's not something which happens every day, especially the media don't give very much space to classical music and opera. And I'll start by literally answering the question of this debate, opera, are we all invited? Yes, we are all invited and everyone should be invited because, first of all, everyone should have the chance to know that there is an art form called opera and then to find out what this art form is about. And this is not to, take, to be taken for granted. Not everyone does know that. And if we want to expand um, the audience of opera, I think we should, first of all, work on these two basic uh, axes. The first is that people should know one exists. One has to be visible that there is opera, that there is an opera house, that it does have a regular season, opera season. To do that, you have to be visible, you have to be... Uh, constantly, uh, cleverly advertising, to be active, uh, to be in the media, in the radio, television, and the social media. And the second thing is to tell people what opera is about, and of course what it is not about, and to help them, what I would say, overcome the fear, the fear of the unknown, the fear of something that they don't know. Many times fear is what inhibits us, what doesn't let us come closer to things that we don't feel comfortable with. And opera is something that most of people don't feel comfortable with. So we have to try and help them get over stereotypes and get over prejudices and to tell them that this is not a closed club for um, uh, executives, it's not an elitist art, it's not about large people trying to reach a high note. What opera is about, I think, is, well, it's one of the performing arts, it's, it's music theatre. People like Mozart, like Verdi, like Wagner, like Bizet, they have uh, written pieces not just as entertainment music. They have carefully chosen... It, it's not a pretext for opera singers to show off what they can do. They have cleverly and carefully chosen their subjects because they wanted to tell a story. And these stories uh, address issues, important issues. And I think that is why opera is important, because it addresses issues that are also related to us today. And I think we have to address these issues seriously today as well. There are aspects of ideology, aspects of politics, aspects of culture in, in these um, uh, works, and these have to be uh, addressed to carefully today as well. If we believe that opera is not just an art about preserving museum pieces, but it's also an art that is useful for us today, for our lives, because it, 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 first of all, because it belongs to our culture, it's our cultural heritage, and then it, it helps us um, think in a different way, feel different things, uh, so it's worth cultivating and renewing, then we have to try to treat these things seriously, and we have to try to convince other people that this is worth doing. Uh, I'm very brief. I'm afraid I'll put full stuff here. And no, that was very, very useful. Thank you. And you're just going to come back to that. So, Dimitrios. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's a concept I would like to begin with, invitation, for the simple reason that in the first decades of the genre, after the 1600s, it was the only way to attend an opera. It was not public. It was a court spectacle, and only people invited could be there. Only after the 1640s, opera became public, firstly in Venice, a rather liberal republic, then Hamburg, other cities. So the idea in, in the years, during the, the last four centuries, was that as society changed, and as society usually became more democratic, more open, 
overall she became more accessible because very early it was not considered as a as a form of entertainment but as a public good and it is not accidental that it went through uh, cataclysmic events like uh, the French Revolution or the October Revolution and in the 20th century we have this modern concept of opera being part of if we could say the, the, the cultural state. Many opera houses in Europe were nationalized only in the 20th century. Uh, nowadays, we're a little bit on the other side. Our problem is how to convince people to come to the opera. I will be a little bit specific for Greece. I think that in Greece we are now at the end of a period that was quite fortunate and began from the middle 90s. At that point, I remind it was the moment of European integration. And what does that mean for Greece? First, people could travel and study opera. Second, there was more money to do that. And third, people became more cosmopolitan. And I think that this created a new generation of very educated people in opera too. And some of them we can see them in the, uh, the theatres nowadays. Some of them, unfortunately, are uh, jobless. Now we also have a new uh, opportunity in the country because there's going to be a new opera in a few years and there is a certain degree of enthusiasm about it. Uh, I think that what is really crucial for Greece now is to find a way to, uh, to use all this new and gay experience and reproduce it through education and not let it uh, perish because of the crisis. I think that if we succeed to do this, uh, at least for Greece, we're going to um, create a public for opera for, for another generation. And this is, I think, the important issue right now. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can thank our speakers. <laughs> thank you very much. Um, I, I want to come straight to something that you were saying, Nikos. Whilst I got carried away with Ioannis uh, is saying, um, you know, he almost cried when he saw what happened with the effect that it had on young people and how inspired they became about it. Uh, and I think what you were saying is to find out what this art form is and uh, to stretch to it, and Dolan was talking about discriminating uh, and, and making decisions. You said something interesting. You said these are these are not just museum pieces, uh, but it also should be related to us today. Now, in in one of the conversations in in, in the UK and elsewhere about relating today is often uh, when when art form and art is discussed, it will it will try and make it relevant. So if it's in dance, it will say, well, how how does this affect obesity? Or if it's in uh, other areas, they'll, they'll try and make outcomes with it rather than holding up the art in and of itself. Or they'll try and make it relevant. Will Shakespeare be relevant? Were you saying when you're saying how it relates to us today that it should change the form, uh, or were you saying that people should rise to to understand it more and struggle? Or what's your view on that? Well, both. I think, um, in a sense, you have to you have to reach out. People. I mean, these, especially the, 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 the important uh, works about the, the operas that are worth uh, uh, 
the important operas, anyway. They have so many aspects that you can choose every time which to project, which to, which to, to find what... You don't have to do everything. Uh, pieces like Don Giovanni you can, or, or, or La Traviata, you can choose which, which thing you want to focus on and then project it and then find what you want to address your audience through that piece. That's a director's thing. I think uh, uh, Mr. Arseni could answer this perhaps better, but I think that it works in both ways. Listen, I think one of the main um, differences between entertainment and art is that in entertainment, usually you get a stimulus and you're a passive receiver of something. Whereas in art, you have to put your input as well. You have to do something yourself. You cannot just stay there and wait for, for the piece or whatever, it's a piece of literature or a poem or whatever it is, just to stimulate you. You have to do something yourself. You cannot enjoy a, a poem if you cannot read the alphabet. You have to do something yourself as well. Yeah. And I think that is important in opera as well. Okay. So, uh, Eugenia, um, Nikos was saying it's not a closed club, it's not, it shouldn't be an elitist art. You were saying that it was, it's patronising to say that people aren't capable of grasping it. To, to, but there has been a tendency today, uh, somewhat internationally, to try and make things more uh, accessible. Sometimes the terms are used and relevant and that type of thing. To what extent do you think it is a closed club and it is an elitist start or it should be, or should it be open to everyone and how should that work? Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's definitely not an We have to convey the message that opera is not difficult, let's say that. I would take it further, um, but I would answer first your point that it's actually not expensive, and I'm I'm here to prove that, but because it's like the myth, opera is hugely expensive and uh, we cannot have production, but that's another story, I'd like to touch that one. So, we first treat, and I think we all agree on that, that opera is a theatrical form. It seems that it's, it's something we all understand, but practically, uh, it's, it's not necessarily treated like that. So, uh, in order to uh, bring uh, the audience closer to opera, uh, first of all, we um, convey that it is theater. So it's it's nothing dangerous, nothing fearful. It's it's just a theater, and it is theater with music. So it has this element plus all the arts, of course, as Jan said. So um, it has all the um, elements. Um, to, to inspire the, the audience too. So, in that sense, it's not difficult. What do we do in order to bring the productions closer? Oh, of course, I agree that uh, we do not keep monumental pieces, yet we cannot bring all different elements that are popular to a contemporary, to, a, to an operatic performance just to attract the audience. Because then you're doing a production that is not operated, not theory, doesn't have a clarity. It doesn't have consistency. That's why I, uh, I said that before. So, yes, uh, to sum up, uh, it is more active work, that's one, because uh, a huge difference we have opera singers here with Marietta. And it's very important that vocal teachers encourage their students uh, that acting is as important as singing, so then we have performances where acting and singing as two powerful components together, and now, of course, this is a reform, this is something different, this is important. And then, aesthetics, of course, it depends on the director, uh, where the music inspires and 
keep tells us the story. And as I said before, I'm not against renovation, of course. I don't believe that we play great dramas with, you know, the long. But um, let's not bring all the popular culture in opera, because then we have something else. Okay, thank you. I'm, very, I'm going to be very interested to hear what you guys think about uh, some of these points and any other questions you have. But one of the things that struck me, uh, Dimitrios, when you were talking was you were talking about the changing nature of how people and the public have engaged with opera and, uh, and, and actually chamber music and uh, as well. You could uh, give that as an example. But it's also true in, in the modern period that our view has also changed, hasn't it? I mean, it wasn't so long ago that people like Leonard Bernstein were on uh, television regularly playing classical music, talking to people about classical music, or Heifetz and Peter Gortsky uh, were seen as celebrities, uh, uh, Maria Callas. And these days, today, perhaps our view of uh, opera and classical music has changed uh, in, in, in terms of how we uh, reflect on it as a cultural form. But maybe not so much the public's view, perhaps some of even the practitioners. Is there not, would you say that in Greece also there, there may be a, a, an element of a slight embarrassment about our cultural heritage? You talked a lot about culture, or, or, or not? Well, first, I would like to stress how important is uh, what you mentioned first for television. Uh, there are dozens of autobiographies of uh, opera singers. Been, uh, I loved opera when I saw in the cinema this and this and this. For many people who have not access to natural opera performance, uh, radio or television or cinema, and now the internet, uh, had been a very, very important uh, beginning. In Greece, specifically, as Yanis had said in the beginning, we did have a long opera tradition that we now have forgotten. I don't think that uh, there is any kind of embarrassment. I think in, in the mid-20th century, there was a very... Uh, torturous uh, question, even including composers of Greece, about uh, finding the, the, the proper national character in the art. And that somehow created a problem about uh, understanding uh, opera, a uh, perfectly European form of art. I think that nowadays we, we don't have any more of these, these kind of issues. Uh, the problem is that while we have all this accessibility information, uh, you can see entire operas on YouTube, and uh, ten years ago, some operas were so rare, you could not just you could not find them, you should go to the Library of Congress to find a copy, and now you can have it at home. But on the other hand, uh, there's nobody to incite people to do that. So again, uh, the question comes to education, and this is of course a question of, of the state, but also of artists, of, institutions, and uh, I repeat, this is the, the important thing. Uh, so Yanis, the, uh, uh, it was a very evocative image that you had uh, provided us. Uh, how, I mean, do you agree with some of the things that Dolan was saying about um, a critical engagement and how you cultivate that? Or do you think it's just about educating young people? How do you see that? Well, I think it's both. I mean, you need to... I mean, you need to bring somebody to the actual theater initially. I mean, somebody physically should be there, and he should see the, the thing that's going on. Then this thing, the theater, should be very nicely produced. Otherwise, you have lost the client. That's for sure. Especially if it's the first time in his life he listens to the opera. 
And we had some troubles in Greece with this. I mean, if you think back to the 80s, 90s, I mean, in, at this time I was going Wednesdays or Thursdays to the Greek opera house, there were like me and 30 old aged women, and uh, it was actually very old, it was not renovated. It is actually it's a very small building, it's not at all uh, elitist, elitistic, so it, it couldn't work this way, it, it couldn't work for the um, high bourgeois, let's say, the, the building of Lyrikina uh, in, uh, in the street just around the block. So it was kind of very disappointing, very disappointing, very few audience, and I was wondering how can you have audience after uh, 20 years, meaning now? And actually you don't have uh, audience in my age. If you go, you can see 50s, 60s, and that's a problem. That's a problem for the, from even for the company. I mean, to whom are you addressing? Are you addressing only to aged persons, or you you want to have uh, youth and even middle-aged audience? So, first of all, I think somebody should should bring some people to the opera because they might love it instantly. They might, of course, this is the commonest thing. You say, well, that's fine. The problem is the second time. If you go the second time, that's that's the success. I could try to take my students many times to the opera. I think it is very late. The twenties and twenty-fives. It's. I think it's too late, technically speaking. I mean, I think if uh, it's very difficult to go by themselves for a second time, and this is the particular problem. I think you have to make. Uh, a younger person to, to love it, to be acquainted with this, with the, with the singing that you, you have to see a story that somebody sings and he doesn't talk. And it's a beautiful music that stress all the feelings inside. I mean, at the time I was going to the opera house, they were not uh, super targets actually, so I had no idea what's going on on the stage, but I just loved to, to listen to the human voice in the orchestra. The live, it was a live orchestra playing. Uh, for me, that's um, what I like the most. Anyway, that's very personal, but I think uh, it can be very stimulating for young persons. And I, as, to repeat myself, we have to focus how to bring young people, not children, because children love it. All the children, all the, over, all the productions of the uh, Greek opera house that are designed for children are always packed. Mm -hmm. I was, I was, and they are always enjoy that. You have to find uh, young people, like, 18s, 17s, 20, 21, and that's very difficult because there is a huge gap. After they, they move from elementary school to the high school, they listen completely different type of music. And it's very difficult to find the link, as you said before. You have to find a link to connect their daily lives to the opera, which is this is a difficult uh, thing at the, the task. Well, I want to come back to that. I can see you indicating. Yeah. Just um, do we have to find a link to their daily lives? Or do we have to, or is it more about saying that culturally, or creating a climate in which how they engage as an art form and how we hold it up is a valued in a way? Because I wonder to what extent practitioners and, and, and gatekeepers uh, of the culture are, are somewhat embarrassed about some of that too. Let, let me come to, to, to Nikos, but you, we'll come back to that. I just wanted to come back to the audience and what Yanis said and say, since I'm the one here representing the Greek National Opera, I want to say that uh, it's incredible how things have changed in the past uh, three, four years. It was true what Yanis said a few years ago, 
but through a different um, PR policy and through being more, much more visible in the past few years, we have, I think we have accessed people that didn't even know that there was a thing called opera. And this shows everywhere, not only in, in um, let's say, the popular pieces. We uh, have been producing in, in the past few years, for example, uh, operas by Wagner, which are not commonplace in Greece. And we have filled the Herodaticus Adean for four nights, and that was astonishing. We, ha- we produced... Uh, Gounod's Faust, which is everywhere else, maybe a popular opera, but in Greece it had it hadn't been produced for 30 years, and we had Full House eight nights, and we've produced Ivespri Siciliani, which is everywhere a rare piece, and we had to add three more performances, and that did not happen in the in the uh, Olympia Theater, which is the small uh, central theater of the Greek National Opera, because. The Greek National Opera doesn't have a home, and that is a tragedy. Uh, all these places are places, venues, where the Greek National Opera plays, but they're not owned by um, the Greek National Opera. So we produce these in, in rather big uh, theatres, such as one of the halls of the Megaron and the Herodaticus Adia, uh, which uh, seats about 4,000 people. Uh, what I wanted to say through this is, because there have been... Uh, a great variety of, of activities, not only in Athens, but all over the country, people got interested in that. And, and you know, they heard for the first time uh, what this is. They saw opera singers from very close, and they saw that these are normal people. They're not something, uh, some, some uh, funny creatures from an, a different uh, world. And I think this helped very much, this visibility, this constant uh, uh, presence everywhere, as you mentioned in the airplanes and everywhere else. Um, places unexpected in, 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 in squares, public squares, in the metro, everywhere. And people got to know about this. And they were interested. And then they came even to Wagner. They came even to pieces that they would uh, normally, I think, not come. And I think this helped very much. Yeah, I mean... Dolan, you, you were talking about critically engaging and, and being bored at first and saying that's okay. And, but, I mean, when I do some events for young people and they're kind of contemporary dance music events and, you know, people come along, everyone's always saying how short attention spans young people have got and how they only really want to be sort of entertained straight away. Isn't it a big ask? Yeah, for, for it, 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 you know, you've got to really struggle, perhaps, with the work. Isn't that quite an unfashionable view? Is it? Is it one that is perhaps even realistic today? I, I think the point is that one opera is never enough. That you have to be exposed to more than one, and there has to be a reason to keep you going back, even if it's some kind of peer pressure. And part of the problem with uh, you're absolutely right that children are, are far more easy to engage. But with older young people, if they're being told by their peers and by their teachers, even it's not really for you, you go to something young and cool and, and leave this to, to old people, then they don't feel much uh, of a pressure. It's, it's when they get a sense, hang on, there's something here that I'm missing out on, and I want to find out what it is. What is it that people are getting excited about? Um, and that does require a bit of um, persistence. It doesn't mean that you won't enjoy any moment of it. It's always kind of comes and, comes and goes. Um, we, we used to, for a long time at the Institute of Ideas in London, we, we ran a, a reviews website um, where we, we would get um, our office interns to, to review, play, usually straight theatre. And usually we're talk, talking about undergraduates, um, some of whom were huge theatre fans and, and did very well. But um, it was very interesting sending people to review theatre who weren't very familiar with theatre. Because when you send someone who doesn't really know a form to review it, they don't give you a review of the play they've seen. They'll give you a review of going to the theatre. 
because all the superficial things of the sense of being in an, an audience of the, the curtain going up we say this is simplistic, but just the, 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 the mechanics of how theatre works is what's fascinating to someone who's never seen it before, and they will often do that. And that's even with the strength with, with, with playing theatre. Take that a notch up. As Eugenia says, opera is theatre, but it's particularly theatrical theatre. So, my God, people are bursting into song, left and right, and, and they're singing very strangely. We're not used to this. That's what strikes you as a first-time um, visitor, which is why first-time visitors don't make very good reviewers, in fact. In terms of informing anyone else about what was special about that particular production, um, I think it, it, about it being theatrical theatre, this means one has to get used to, one has to learn the language to some extent, and how that language changes. Um, I don't know anything about contemporary theatre in, in Greece, but in, in, in the UK, there's been a complaint for some time that it's very realistic. Mainstream theatre in, in the UK is realistic in the. In the it's sense that television is realistic. Not that the plots are believable, but that everything is flows in a fairly staid and uh, everyday kind of way. And if you go to the opera expecting that, you're going to be disappointed and upset and confused. Um, and I think it's very good if people get used to different ways of doing things. Even, you know, actually, a, a, an opera like Anna Nicole's plot is completely realistic, but obviously the way it's performed and presented um, is not because it uses all sorts of tropes and ways of doing things that you're not used to unless you've been exposed to them. And once you are exposed to it, you can say, yes, you can go to love it, and you can appreciate it, and you can say it's, sometimes it's done better than other times. Uh, just going, I want to go out to the audience now and get, get, you, uh, uh, get some of your points and questions, but one of the things that Demetrius you'd said was, uh, that struck me was about technology and how the internet and other things has made it more available to everyone. And I do think that, uh, you know, for instance, Lincoln Centre, they have their outdoor screenings of opera throughout the summer. They're particularly popular uh, and everything. But there's a difference between uh, using technology or using media to present a certain form and then a discussion maybe that some have in institutions which are obsessed with numbers uh, and bean counters or, or just how do we get the young people rather than um, like a bit more creating the culture where it's something that people are coming into. Now you guys may disagree with that, I, I really want to hear your views uh, or any other points. So if you want to have a show of hands so I can see who wants to speak. Well, this is an input I think now it might lead to a question or two. Uh, the thing that I've been thinking all this time, why are we having this conversation? I mean, what do we want? Do we want audience to appreciate opera or do we just need clients? Because those are both legitimate things. I mean, we, we make our living out of that, I'm senior. So we really need clients. So the thing is that nobody would discuss that eight years ago. Why? Why nobody? Because opera is an institution. That means that inside the head of the opera class, of course, in the beginning of the 20th century. It was something that couldn't be discussed, couldn't be doubted. I asked my father once, why doesn't Mercedes have uh, advertisements? He said, because they don't need to. And I think that's the thing, that opera stopped being an institution because it stopped being something about a specific economical part of the society. So actually the point is, and okay, I get it, Verdi was very popular, but he was very political, and it's a different thing. So the thing is, what do we expect from going out to the audience? 
Uh, we expect them to, to teach them how to appreciate or just to come to the theater. So, and we see that throughout the last decades we have those things that we have here too. You know, popping, uh, artists popping up in different venues, metro stations and markets and places and everything, and just singing opera. And of course, it's a very legitimate uh, view to say that this, what Mr. Lea said, that we say we're here, we exist, so come to us. But at the other side, there is a danger trivializing a rather complex thing, a rather complex thing that is opera, and it's easy, but still complex. So I'm thinking that maybe if we try too hard to advertise, maybe we should be afraid that we are slipping with the enemy. Very good, very good point. The panel, yes, in front, please, thank you. There is one point that was not mentioned enough, uh, is that opera uh, have stopped its evolution. Uh, most opera houses are playing operas written 100 or 200, 300 years ago. And uh, the contemporary music is, is missing. Uh, even Greece, they, when they have to, to, to cut money, they have cut the contemporary small operas, <laughs> the experimental operas, it's the first thing they have come. I think that's a big mistake. The opera should be connected to the society, not looking back. Uh, and that is a big reason why young people or people that have not a, a high uh, culture cannot approach uh, this thing. I think uh, opera as a music theater should follow the society as it was Okay, thank you. Just to remind you, if you want to ask the question in Greek, uh, Nico, Nico can uh, translate as well. Because of my awful English, I would prefer to express my opinion, my question yes. in our language. Atlantico, στις νέες προσπάθειες νέων πολύ σημαντικών εκφραστών στην όπερα, παράδειγμα. So the question more or less was many people consider operas something belonging to a museum, whereas why can't we see more contemporary efforts such as what is happening on the other side of the Atlantic and these kind of minimalist actors that were mentioned? So okay, thank you. Yes, in the middle there. Thank you. Yes. So the argument was that there's not a matter of old or new, that we we should give equal due to its to the old opera and the newest opera. But the main point was that in Greece it's a problem of education, but not just formal education, yeah. we haven't got the term pedia in English, but it's also how you're raised. So the lady was raised and she would listen to opera in her house, but she mentioned that, that now she wants to go to the opera and she cannot find anyone because she considers that we are lacking kind of the fundamentals to understand it and to appreciate it. Okay, so we got some really good uh, points there. I'm going to come back to the audience in a minute. I want to 
I mean, feel free to come back on anything, but I wanted to uh, just come to the first contribution, actually, and ask you, uh, Nikos, what you thought, because uh, I thought it was a very well-made question and probable point that is a question as well, is what do we want from the audience? Is it to appreciate, you know, the form, or is it just to have clients in just in turn? Um, and is there a danger of trivialising opera? If, if one engages in certain mechanisms like flash mobs for opera, uh, flash mobs for opera or, or you know doing different sort of installations or coming out of the uh, uh, concert hall well I don't think there's a contradiction there actually I think these are two different things and I think that the one is the first step and the second is the second step as we're speaking about Greece and not about another country I would say the first thing is we have we don't have to take for granted that everyone knows what opera is so, first of all, the first thing you have to do is show, show people who you are. So this you will do by, by a sort of publicity, by a sort of uh, being visible, as I said, by, by, by these actions that you mentioned. And I think that these actions were those that pulled a lot of people to the Opera House and that made them come to the performance and then they will appreciate. Because they will see the spectacle as it is, they will see a performance as it is, the way it is produced, and if it's a good performance, it will, it will convince them. If it's a, a less uh, good performance, it will convince them less. But the first thing is to be visible, and this is not to be taken for granted in Greece. If we go out, uh, 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 come with me. Let's let's leave the let's leave the building and, and come uh, walk in the streets of Athens and ask people what do they know what opera is? Should do answer they... to taxi drivers what's right. your profession like right. I do and I say I'm a soprano and they're like well, what's that? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Uh, the, if, if you ask people in, in the center of Athens if they know if there is an opera house in Athens I doubt that they will know. So the first thing is to let them know that you exist and I think that was a very a clever decision to doing all these activities around Athens and not just around Athens we have this suitcase opera as it is called which produces uh, opera in a reduced version all over the country, Elm Islands and the south and north of Greece, everywhere, and that makes people um, uh, let lets people know what this is all about. But how how long do you think it has been in Greece uh, that people have not known that opera existed? How how long would you say? Well, that I think it's it it, it it's uh, that goes to the root of the problem. I think, which is that. As the lady said, it's a matter of education, and it's a matter of the state not um, helping, not um, supporting opera. Uh, as Yanis said, and uh, I think every speaker here said, uh, opera does have a, a history in Greece, and not only an important, an, an important history, but from the 19th century on, there have been uh, Greek uh, composers that have composed in Greece and that have been inspired by the, uh, by the uh, for example, by the Greek Revolution, just as Rossini or as Berlioz was. It's just that we don't know these pieces by Carrer, for example, who's a, a composer, or composers like Samaras, who had a, a, a career in the 19th century in Italy. His works were produced uh, at La Scala in, in Rome, in uh, Florence, but we don't know these things. And um, there have been Greek opera companies in, uh, starting from 1888 and then 1900 and so on. But these have not been supported by the state. Why they have not been supported by the state is a different question. And I think it's, it's much wider than this discussion. But it goes back to that, I think. But, yeah, Donan, I mean, surely uh, 
would you agree that it's entirely reasonable and acceptable that if people don't know that much about opera and they're not uh, uh, engaged at the moment, that in that kind of climate, surely it's a smart marketing thing to do, to go out on planes and buses or wherever it may be, uh, show them a little piece of it, and, and with the aim that that will then bring, bring people in. Um, absolutely. I mean, I, there are two basic kinds of advertising. One is the kind Nicholas is talking about, where you let people know that you exist and what you do, and then they're exposed to it and they can make a decision. The second time is the, is the kind where you, you've all kinds of focus groups to find out what people want, and then you pretend that your product is different than that. So people want entertainment. Well, opera is really entertaining. Of course it is, but that's not the point. Other things are more easily entertaining. You, uh, so, so I think it's just a case of being honest. And, there, there, there will be an audience. I mean, if people believe in what, in what they're producing, um, there is no need to pretend. And as Alan was alluding to in, 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 in the UK and in the US as well, there's a great tendency often to try to justify the arts, and particularly funding for the arts, by saying that they will overcome all kinds of social problems, which may not be very convincing. Just, just to pick up on the historical question as well, um, I, I, I think I recognise the issue that so much of the repertoire is hundreds of years old. And... For some people, this, uh, this is off-putting. So I think there's certainly a place for contemporary opera. And actually, having uh, discussed Greek politics, contemporary Greek, poli Greek politics last night, I can see fantastic opera based on the current situation in Greek politics. <laughs> I could even see productions of old operas that adapt in, in, in various ways. And I think that's certainly a, a role for the art form. There, you know, there, lots of, there is lots of good work done like, done, done like that. Um, at the same time, though, I do think there's something special about the fact that perhaps for the first time in history, um, it is now a routine to perform um, work that is hundreds of years old. And the fact that that isn't how it was done in the past is actually quite new and exciting. The fact that people will routinely come and sit in dark rooms and listen to an art form produced, a work of art produced hundreds of years ago, is a thoroughly modern phenomenon. And I think we shouldn't be um, awkward about that, we shouldn't be nervous about that. The point is to encourage that, but also to think about and, and doing new, product, new work as well. Can I it's a point I wanted to make uh, earlier. Since we're talking about contemporary opera, uh, I should for sure mention that Master of the Moon is here. Yanis Tselius, the is here. It was the experimental stage of the Greek National Opera from 2004 and 2011. I was here, the dramaturg and coordinator. It's seven years uh, that created the grant. Um, of, the, um, of the contemporary works at the Greek National Opera. It is not mentioned very often. It is not fair. Uh, we, we know that we didn't do much of media work, but uh, uh, we encouraged many artists uh, to start working uh, on contemporary opera. Um, and uh, it is important I think to mention because it has to do with the education and how many artists passionately involved to do something new. That uh, answers um, the question about contemporary opera. I represent the Center for Contemporary Opera in New York anyway, yet I do um, often, very often direct also classical works and these are the works I always teach because most of us uh, do teach at conservatories and university and we're trying uh, through education, uh, and as you say, Pedria, the word that I cannot think an equivalent, like a broader, um, I don't know, knowledge and encouragement towards the art to inspire younger people to it. 
Um, going back, I'm trying to sum up the uh, questions I, um, I heard from the audience, all, all very interesting. What Moreira said, I think that you are right in the sense that we're kind of panicking. We need audience. I mean, it's great that the audience is great, but no panic, because with this panic, we alternate the medium at the end. And that's dangerous, I think. That was my point. Yeah, I know. I got. I was. Uh, yeah, I'm going to come back out. Uh, uh, I was intrigued um, a, a bit about what Dona was saying as well about keep coming back and everything. Uh, my first experience with uh, where that really was true was the first time I heard the Beethoven's Triple Concerto, and I ended up making a documentary about the creation uh, of a triple concerto by a current uh, a composer who's based in Boston. But I realised it wasn't until about the 20th time that I had listened to it that I really began to hear it. Uh, and then actually seeing the struggle of someone trying to compose something that's a triple concerto, which is an enormous feat, a contemporary uh, composer, uh, and the challenges that are there. And it seems to me, uh, and, and um, I'd like to, anyone can come back on this, that this all sounds really good, but we do live in a world today where struggle and hard work and discipline and those forms and challenges and even how to listen, you have to struggle to listen and hear better and that notion you know, it, it, it is one that is not so fashionable. Now maybe it's very different in Greece and I'd love to hear that, but it, generally I found that we, we, we live in a, in, in a moment where um, th those ideas aren't so fashionable. How do you counter some of that in, in the discussion about the education and that type of thing? Is it just about showing performers performing or is there something more broadly culturally that we have to think about uh, across the board? Yanis? Obviously the second of course. <laughs> um, I think I don't want to repeat myself. It's of course a matter of the pedia education and somebody has to know that the existence of, uh, of, of opera. Uh, we didn't exclude any of the, I personally didn't exclude any of the repertoire. I mean, there is even, Baroque is not performed. It's just to talk about the repertoire. We don't see even performance of Monteverdi or of Baroque, even of contemporary. I, and I didn't mention anything about uh, the repertoire. I think it's, in a sense, it's equal. You can have a very boring, um, production of a contemporary thing, a contemporary opera or something very interesting of an old performance and the opposite of course. Anyway, um, I think if, if there is good quality to everything, I think you can, you, you can uh, attract the audience. And audience is much more difficult to be attracted now because opera is not as you said, as probably as we said before, 50 years or 100 years ago, opera was the entertainment. Besides, as an artist, it was the entertainment. Everybody would go there, like, let's say about the, the bourgeois, uh, would go there just for to see each other. It was um, a social thing. No, it's not. You have the movie theaters, you have the pubs, the clubs, and you have TV, you have the YouTube. Uh, you have to. Um, that's the reason you need to attract the audience. The, um, it's not the same as 50 years ago. Okay. So you have to find high quality, you have to find, first of all, high quality uh, ways to attract. And you, you have to persuade them that this is something very unique and very nice. Okay, I'm going to come back out to the audience. Yes, please. So I'm just wondering, let's say 
you have an opera with Lady Gaga. Initially, we don't laugh. But then I can think about, for example, as the gentleman here mentioned, Nixon in China. When it was first made, people thought, you know, this is maybe cheap. Now, probably it is considered a classic. I don't know. So the question is, what makes a piece a classic? Is it studying the test of time? Because they would say that Kazanji, this is a classic. Is the universality? Because then we would say, as I used to have a teacher in school who said, Pink Floyd, in some years, will be classic music. So is it something standing the test of time and being universal? Or is it just, is, or is it just kind of its objective merits? So this is a good piece of music, even if five people can understand it, this is a classic. So I just want to listen to what the panel has to say on that. Thank you. We talk about education, and we listen to many things about education, and people don't go to the opera because, because they don't have the, the education. But lawyers are educated. I think, uh, not I think, I, I place the question, is it a matter of education or of addiction? Because you, the more you see opera, the more you go there. And I think that's why the, uh, you have to start very early to go to the opera. So when you get old, you can go many times in one month. Young people do not go very often, not, not in Greece. Whatever, because they are not yet uh, addicted to this. You 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 see Trapiata for the plenty time, then you are very curious to see how the things are going. For the first time, it's on the plot. Thank you. Yes. Teachers were quite sneering about that, and they were like, "Well, yeah, that's 
contemporary music. That's pop music. It's a bit, bit naff, really, isn't it? You, you're just young. You don't know about what's really good and of value. This is what is so exceptional. Uh, they play classical music in the morning in the assembly. We would get taken sometimes, very fortunately, to some festival halls. But there was a sense in which there was this world that you could join, uh, but you didn't know that much about. But you know, and it was exciting, and it was adult, it was grown up, and it wasn't. Uh, these days, you know, when you know, often at university and elsewhere, it seems that people are flattering the idea of the contemporary and the popular, and slightly embarrassed about. Uh, 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 the art form. So I, I'd be interested to hear what you think about that. But who'd like to answer any of the questions? Yeah. I can. Yes, Eugenia. Um, what about actually uh, this Lady Gaga point that you made, and I totally understand. First, one could think that you're raising the question is there an aesthetic, uh, a standard of taste, which is uh, a huge uh, question to discuss and very interesting. Mm -hmm. But I will take this further and talk um, about what is happening like in, uh, uh, in productions, taking your Lady Gaga thought. You know, I haven't seen it, seen it in opera yet, but I fear we will, possibly, hopefully not here. Producers having, you see, because of the crisis, there is a fear, a fear of failure. Uh, you, you cannot afford having a flop, you know. So what uh, they're doing is that they're trying to bring very popular, um, popular performance through the media to productions. It happens often in musical theater, where they clearly cannot support vocally um, the, uh, the demands of the music, because some of the musicals we know very well, especially when it is not musical theater, but it is music drama, of course, there is a huge difference there. It is vocally very difficult. So what you get is performances, or as, for instance, as a director, if I can speak personally, you are called to direct uh, singers who clearly cannot support their role, um, and this has a very bad effect for the singers themselves and for the whole production. And, and what they do not think is that it's going to be an artistic failure, it might be a financial success. But what is more important? Is there going to be a classic? Uh, I was going to ask Nikos actually what, what he, he thought on that. Well, first of all, uh, just, a, just a brief comment on the matter of repertoire and whether we're playing um, contemporary works or not. Again, I don't think we can generalize because Greece is not like the rest of the world. But coming back to Greece, and as I said, there's just one opera house which works on a very, very limited budget. And it, yes, it did in fact have has produced Nixon in China a few years ago, and yes, it has produced Ligeti's Le Grand Macabre and a number of other uh, contemporary works. And it can't do everything. It has to produce classical works, just as contemporary, just as baroque, like Yannis said, just as operetta. There's, unfortunately, it's just one opera house, and unfortunately, it does have a limited budget. That's just to answer the question of repertoire. And about the classic, why do we need to have a guide who, during the 19th century, Così fan tutte was never performed because it was, it was considered unethical. It was a piece that was never produced. Nowadays, it's a classic. So, of course, it's the merits of the piece itself, but it's also time that, that shows us. What, why do you have to know today if, if Nixon in China is a classic? We will find out. They will find out. Someone will find out. The thing is, does it have merits? Does it have 
things that attract, to, to, that, that touch you, that, that speak to you? Do you relate to that? Can you connect to that piece in any way? Is it interesting for you? And Lady Gaga, how much different is Lady Gaga from Anne Nicole? It has been produced in the States, it has been produced in, in, in Covent Garden, and it has been produced twice in Covent Garden. This, this run was the second, wasn't it? Yes, I mean, yes, which means that there has been, a, a, there has been an audience for that piece as well. So Harry Potter opera is, Sorry? Harry Potter opera is yeah. uh, due to... Well, well, you have to do... If, if you, the pieces, the, let's say, the, 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 the pieces we are familiar with, the 19th or 18th century pieces that we are familiar with, are really the tip of the iceberg. There have been produced hundreds of operas. Donizetti has produced 70 operas. How many do you know? How many titles can you tell me? Handel has produced tens and tens of operas. How many titles do you know? So the people, the, the pieces that we are, even Verdi, right, we, we speak of, of Verdi, and, and basically we mean Traviata, Rigoletta, and Trovatore, Aida maybe. But... But not Attila. Well, not Attila, yes, exactly, not, uh, of course. So what I'm saying is that these, pe these pieces that we are uh, dealing with are basically the very, very famous ones from each time. So is that because but is that is that because they're the best that stand the test of time? Is it because we do stand on the shoulders of giants with the best work they cut, or is it another reason? Well, I think I think there are many reasons for each piece. For each, we cannot again. I, I don't want to generalize, but for each piece, it's a different reason. There can be um, it can be actually the merits of, of a piece, but it can be also something different. For example, Nabucco is a very famous piece. Perhaps because of the chorus of the of the of the Jews, which is always a symbol of it was almost a, a, a national anthem in Italy. So maybe other reasons uh, you can attribute uh, this this uh, fame the being famous to to different reasons, not only the merit of the piece itself. It, it has to do with fashion as well. Some some composers are fashionable in one time and are not fashionable in maybe fifty years later. Any of the panel want to come back before I go out on any of the points stolen? Um, well, quickly on, on this, the same point, I think obviously the thing we recognise about opera is it's a performance art, so it's not just about the work itself, but the way yeah. it's interpreted. What makes a, a, a producer or a director decide to do it um, again? And I think the, part of the mark for me is thinking of doing things differently. So if someone's to do Nixon in China based on Obama's relationship with China, mm. that's kind of suggests they're not, they're not that, being that imaginative. If they decide that to make it a completely historically accurate re, 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 uh, performance for some reason, that might be interesting. Or if they decide to set it on the moon, I mean, who knows? If there's something about it that grasps them musically, artistically, um, then, then that suggests that it's, it's got legs in a way that it might not otherwise have. The lady at the front here, please. The lady mentioned that opera, in a way, has to change because it has to adapt in how things are perceived today. So she gave the example of the dresses or of how people will move in the opera. She gave the example of Carmen. She saw a production of Carmen, and Carmen had a dress which is completely different from what dress you imagine a lady wearing in the opera. But nowadays, because she has to, 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 to express her character and to become kind of understood in today's terms, the dress is kind of provocative in a way, and so is her movement. So is this kind of change is, it, is there something there? Is it, is it something good? Gentlemen in the yellow shirt. Uh, I want to mention, since we're talking about opera in Greece, 
Mr. Rondas mentioned earlier that uh, we had a big tradition in uh, Greek opera, especially before the Second World War, uh, and operetta especially. But I think there's been a big gap after the war uh, since uh, um, people in the government or uh, people responsible uh, gave uh, more uh, importance in other kinds of music. But uh, I'm always surprised why uh, the Greek national opera doesn't uh, present so many uh, Greek works. For instance, uh, a very nice uh, Greek work is uh, Mother's Ring, which I remember was uh, presented 30 years ago and never again. And I'm always surprised uh, going to other uh, countries like uh, Hungary, for, for instance, and uh, national uh, operas of uh, Hungarian composers are presented very often. Why isn't this uh, uh, being done in Greece? Thank you very much, yes, Leida. So, so the lady said that it, it, it wasn't meant to be that you're uneducated if you don't like it, and that people actually do have the right not to like opera. But just like you say, our motto is free speech allowed, so we don't need to feel bad about something being provoked. So, so the right not to like opera, yeah. There was a, another hand there at the back, thanks. Sorry, just really quick, um, going off of what this lady said about the costumes. Um, uh, the changing of the costumes and making them more modern has been done for a few years now. And, I mean, has it really made a difference in the classic old operas uh, to change the costumes into, uh, I mean, modern? And I, I mean, personally, I... I enjoy watching operas for the old uh, and classic uh, feel of it. I love seeing the old costumes as well as uh, hearing the music that was the old classic hundred-year-old arias and things. Is it possible to make people interested in the old idea of opera without having to make many changes. I mean, this is a big question. <laughs> it's a very good one to finish off the question from. I'm going to go this way from Simon Dimitrios to sum up uh, fairly shortly. And, and then if you want to carry on the conversation with us, we'd love to do that over drinks. We can carry on this more informally. That would be great. Dimitrios, please. Thank you. Uh, three things. Now, first, uh, concerning the repertory of new operas, uh, we actually, in the last 20 years, we, we had a lot of new old operas. We rediscovered a lot. Uh, composers like uh, Paisiello and uh, Gandupi and uh, Alevi and whole periods of opera have been rediscovered. The case of John Adams and Nixon in China, I think, shows that it's up to the composers to produce something relevant to, to modern society. When they do that, then uh, it becomes a, a candidate for a classic. Uh, for costumes, I think what is important is to bring something that is convincing. And for productions, I don't think that the opera is exactly music, uh, theater with music. I think it's more theater through music. That the, the, the drama has to go oh, yeah. through the music. And, and sometimes, my problem with some productions is that theatrical, they're so perfect, 
that they make uh, music useless. They don't live in space of the music because the stage director has told everything already. And that's a small problem. I'll, I'll come to that. Yeah, but uh, concerning all the new productions, I remember once in Berlin uh, an old production by Getz Friedrich. Uh, it was a Lucia di Lammermoor. And it was a historical production. That meant it was made exactly as in the time of the Mercedes. It was this painted uh, scenery, the Tremblay, and people wore the costumes of 17th century Scotland, and they stood in uh, rhetoric ways with uh, bringing the sword. It functioned. It functioned. It respected the terms of the genre. It functioned as much as uh, very modern productions can, can, can function. The third thing I will come back to the ladies here who brought up the question of love for the opera. And it's not just going to the opera, but it's, it's loving and, and, and love the experience of being, not just listening to, to a recording, but this special feeling that we have in, in, in the hall. You know, when, when we are there, we're cut off from other distractions, and we follow the opera. It's, it's very Italian, I think. How can we introduce people to that? Uh, I remember two very important mediatic events of 1992. Uh, the discussions there were on, on death of the opera. So one was the three tenors. It was a huge success. And it sold hundreds and millions of CDs. Nevertheless, there were uh, some uh, researches, consumer researches, and they found out that people who had actually bought the three tenors never went any closer to the opera after that. So they just bought the three tenors CD and maybe three tenors two and three tenors three, and that was it. This is also the question of all these alternative things. Uh, we get to the pocket opera or open days, etc., etc., but will the people go after the opera house? Uh, that's the question. So there, I remember a second very important event of that year. Uh, it was a Hollywood film. I'm sure you know that. It was called Pretty Woman. And there was a very famous scene in that, which is the initiation to the opera. So the, the protagonist, I don't remember his name, uh, takes the girl into a, of course it's very, very rare, it gets into a private plane to attend an opera performance, and then they go to the performance and he explains very simply, what are we going to do here? And, of course it's a movie, it's successful. We have a new opera, fun. So, my question then was, uh, what about people like uh, the lady who cannot share their passion? Many people in, in the whole Europe have this problem. Uh, what if we made uh, a society of opera initiatives? Let people who love opera uh, share that with other people. Make some kind of uh, opera initiatives. That, that could be the new idea for uh, the national operas. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, Nikos. Well, uh, just briefly, um, about the costumes, that's, that's an interesting question because we usually we tend to project our own image of things onto uh, pieces uh, like Carmen. Carmen was a very provocative piece when it came out. It was almost not produced because there was so, such conflict in the theater uh, itself that the opera comique and the theater lyric that they, wouldn't want, they didn't want to produce it. It was so provocative in its own time, the singers, the singers um, almost quit 
uh, and didn't want to go on stage in the piece. So how much more provocative was the dress you saw? I'm, I'm sure much less. If, if, you, if you think of, uh, for example, at La Traviata, which was also a piece written by Verdi to, to address his own society of matters that, that were for him important at his own time. La Fenice, uh, the theater where it was first produced, uh, refused to produce it in the costume of the day. They uh, convinced him, well, he didn't have a choice actually, to produce it in costumes of a time past. But it was not his idea. He wanted to, to, confront, to have his own uh, uh, people, his, his uh, countrymen, confronted with something which they could uh, relate to immediately. So think of it, how would it be today? How much more provocative could it be today? Okay, thank you. Darwin? Um, I just want to make one point in response to the music student question. I think it's really about craft, um, because clearly that's an, an essential aspect of um, opera. Um, British people are very nostalgic about punk rock, and I understand there's quite a healthy um, punk scene in Greece. Um, but punk is really about energy and enthusiasm. I don't think there will ever be a punk opera, um, because to me this, the spirit of punk is summed up by the Stooges guitarist John Ashton, who said... Any guitarist who learns to play more than three chords is a sellout. Um, it's very much an idea that trying to become a, a, a virtuoso um, a, a, and to, to hold one's craft is not the point. The point is to get across your message in an immediate, accessible way. And, and opera doesn't do that. That doesn't mean that it can't affect people immediately in various ways, sometimes through costume. Costume is part of the craft, I think, of, 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 of opera as much as anything else, or nearly as much as anything else. But I think it's something that one has to um, acquire to some extent, an understanding of that. But once you do have an understanding of the craft of opera, it is a universal language, which means that it, um, for all we talk about the, the, the different musical cultures in, in, in different countries, I think there is um, something which reaches, reaches across them all um, that I think can, can flourish regardless of where you are. Thank you. Eugenia? Thank you very much. So, going back to your points, um, as you might remember, I emphasize the importance of music, uh, and I said, listen to the music, it's all there. So I want to disagree uh, definitely with the term theater through music, but the reason I'm using theater and music and spectacle and all the others, as Yandy said, is exactly to encourage people who are not very familiar to opera, like come, because we do know that they're more exposed and experienced with theater. So I don't think we disagree on that. What you're talking about, the role of the director, again, I agree with you, because um, and being a director, um, you see, the director who has lack of respect and knowledge of music, then does exactly what you say. He determines the piece, forgets what it is about, like forgets the opera, and just doing what I wish I could find the English word, what we would say, schemothetically which is really bad. It's like, I'm just doing directing uh, inventions. Uh, so, like, we don't want that, we're against that. Yet, still, it's very important to have a, a vision, a theatrical vision, of course, that's what um, opera is, too. Um, regarding the... Um, uh, I, I kept hearing about the age limit, how early or uh, if it is early enough, um, uh, people uh, get familiarize themselves with the opera. I would say it's never too late. And the reason I say that is that I've seen people who, like, they're, they're much older, 
for our students, well, because we mentioned the age of 20, 20 something, or much later, older, um, or even older, who go for the first time in opera, and you get the most touching reactions. So I don't, I wouldn't say that there is a cliche like it's either five or either 85, and in the middle. You, you, you lose your audience if it happens in opera before. Last point regarding the costumes, which I, I think kind of we all agree, um, especially of, of, the camera, of the camera piece, what I would say is that nobody forces you. I mean, that if it is harmonious, like the costume style and the acting style, then I can see me being skeptical on the like modernization of opera. But yeah, carbon is definitely a specific case. But uh, if it is harmonious, harmonious with the movements and all this, I can see there is a consistency I was talking about. So uh, we are open to that, and as long as you protect your actor, or let me put it like that, as a director, uh, your actor should feel comfortable on stage with this dress. So if everything together uh, matches, the most important is that you have an agreement between the director and the designers, because it's again supposed to be a given, because you know, so we have a collective vision starting from the director inspired to the team. Yet when this does not happen, you can see the performance, and it's really, really a dissonance there. Thank you. Yanis. Just um, commenting on Nicole's words, I think Nicole was raised in uh, Chicago. But not in the not around the city. You were okay. So it was impressive that actually you get familiar with uh, with opera even if you didn't go there. So I, I think you needed the stimulus. Actually, this is the most important. I mean, we need to, to find a stimulus for of course for anybody to to visit and to listen to attend and on the historical production or like the mu if we should see opera as a museum um, case, it is the same with theater. I mean, we have uh, ancient Greek drama states every year. I mean, sometimes it is like a museum piece as well, and sometimes it's not. It's a matter of um, the, the production. It's not by opera itself. It, opera loves about, it talks about love, actually. Love and uh, all, all things that we feel and um, we think about. It's nothing, um, it's uh, universal and um, goes throughout the ages. That's the reason it is always modern, no matter how when it was written. I'm, I'm looking forward for the um, future audiences and I would be very glad to see that um, it, it is a challenge actually with the new theatre. It will be, I think, Dr. Dundas, it will be like 2,000 uh, seats in the new opera house. No, no, it's not that big. Uh, it's 1,800? <laughs> I think it's uh, around uh, 1,700. 1,700. Anyway, this is a challenge. I mean, you need the audience to support the productions and the warehouse. So you need to think of getting the audience. Every day. Every, every day. day. <laughs> so good luck with that. I'd like to invite you to thank our panel, please. <laughs> <laughs>